Good morning. What a day, what a wonderful day to be here and, and worshiping together. I'm always excited to come here, to think that we've been doing this for six months. And I reflect back over those, these past six months, and like there's nothing in my mind that I say, oh, we, we need to change that, do that differently. You know, there's some things that are just so good you want to freeze that moment in time. But we know we can't do that. Change is constant. It's around us. It's always happening. I'm reminded every morning when I wake up and look in the mirror, yes, something's different this morning. A message on a t-shirt said, my favorite childhood memory is my back not hurting. (laughs) It's the big changes that catch our attention. Who can forget November 14th and 15th of 2021 as that atmospheric river rolled through southwestern British Columbia and we watched the Sumas Prairie fill up like a bathtub. The Coquihalla Highway, did you see what happened there? It was as though it was built by children out of sticks and mud. And then the health crisis that started three years ago, March 2020, changed us and changed our world. Tsunamis hit our lives through health, economic, and family crises. A volcanic eruption blows the lids off our sensibilities and our stabilities, and and change is forced on us. Dreen, my wife, her dad, went to the doctor. He was in his late 60s. Doctor ran some tests, sat him down in the office, and he said, Mr. Yanchiski, the next cigarette you smoke is going to kill you. Now, Dad, he, he'd been smoking faithfully since a young teenager, hadn't missed a day. He walked out of the doctor's office and never smoked another cigarette again. We take note of earthquakes, atmospheric rivers, doctors' pronouncements, when they change the landscape of our lives. This morning, we find ourselves back in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 13, we've already spent two Sundays in this chapter. And in our stories today, Jesus suggests that some change goes unnoticed, in part because we're not expecting it, and in part because it's so small. It's glacial, almost invisible to the naked eye. And the only way that we can see something is happening is through time-lapse photography. The stories that Jesus told hints that big is not necessarily the only way change happens. Small might work too. And according to this story, small is mighty, which just happens to be the title of the message this morning. Small is mighty. Our story comes in the middle of Jesus' pilgrimage from Galilee, which is up in northern Israel, down to Jerusalem in the south. And the story begins in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And it ends 10 chapters later in Luke chapter 19, verse 27. And we know that he's arrived, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem because we're told that in verse 28 of chapter 19. The very first scene in this travelogue is James and John, two brothers, disciples of Jesus, calling down death on a Samaritan village. One of the last acts in the book of, in the Gospel of Luke, 
is the city of Jerusalem calling death down on Jesus. The stories that Luke records, these in-between Galilee to Jerusalem stories, are about hospitality, farmers, judges, lost things, banquets, dodgy managers, rule-breaking, and manure. Yes, manure. Who said the Bible was boring? In our story this morning, we're brought into the world of horticulture and baking. Listen to Jesus as he tells the story to his audience. Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. And again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus uses questions to introduce these two stories. What is the kingdom of God like? What can I compare the kingdom of God to? These two stories are parables. Deep truths are hidden within the fabric of these stories. Someone said, a parable is a firework that shoots up briefly into the dark sky and explodes, illuminating everything in a new way. Jesus told them another parable. Small is mighty. The kingdom of God is like, Jesus, I'm confused. There's nothing small about kingdoms. Yes, there's those tiny boutique-sized kingdoms that wind up in Hallmark movies. And then you have your mid-range, mid-sized kingdoms. And then you have your take-over-the-world, pandemic-sized kingdoms. But kingdom talk is not small talk. The Bible, God's word, is his kingdom story. And it's told to us in two parts, the old and the new. And at the heart of the story is God's reign, his rule, his kingdom invading time and space. Genesis begins with the creation of the world. Everything lived under the rule and reign of God until it didn't. We have, we've labeled this change in management the fall. It's easy to point fingers when it comes to the fall. Carla Funk, in her book, Every Little Scrap and Wonder, tells of her own great fall. Carla grew up in a small northern British Columbia community. She lived on a piece of property where her dad was building a new home, and her dad knew her, and so her dad told her not to climb the ladder to the roof of the new build. But Carla was listening to another voice, the voice in her head, the voice that told her that there was something amazing at the top of that ladder, a view that, that she would be overwhelmed with. And so Carla listened to the voice, and she began climbing the rungs of the ladder till she got to the top one, swung her leg over onto that nailed plywood on the roof, and then swung her other leg over. And the voice had been right. What a view. And as she took a step towards the carpenters on the roof, they in unison raised their hands and shouted, Stop! But it was too late. 
She stepped on a loose board that was covering the chimney hole. And she fell fast and furious. And the fall broke her. Broke her arm, broke her ribs, broke her pride, broke her spirit. A gash across her forehead was a a reminder of the dangers of climbing ladders and picking the forbidden fruit. Ever since we paid heed to the voice of the snake, we've been tripping over ourselves, falling further and further away from God. In 2023, we believe the lie more than ever that I control my own destiny, that I can rule my life. The only kingdom that matters is the one that I am in charge of. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' main message in the Gospels is a kingdom message, with the crucial question being, who will rule your life? Who will be your king? This is no small matter. Scott McKnight writes, The fundamental solution in the gospel is that Jesus is Messiah and Lord. This means that there was a fundamental need for a ruler, a king, and a Lord. As Jesus told stories of God's kingdom on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem, we discover that kingdom talk is not small talk, and this kingdom will be unlike any other kingdom we know. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which your man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The rule and reign of God is like a mustard seed. Small is mighty. This parable has always raised Silly questions in my mind as I read it. One question is, is the mustard seed truly the smallest seed which is followed immediately by what kind of tree does a mustard seed grow? Is it a tree or is it a bush? In the ancient world, the mustard seed was probably one of the smallest seeds one could see with the naked eye. Mustard seeds were synonymous with smallness. Today we use the word shrimp. Now, now I've been called a shrimp at points in my life. You know, it hurts. I prefer vertically challenged. The parable isn't a biology lesson. Rather, Jesus is opening a window into heaven, giving us a glimpse of God's rule. This, This is theology. The kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom on earth. The closest comparison would be a mustard seed. You're thinking big, Jesus says, I'm thinking small. I'm telling you, small is mighty. And my response is, come on, Jesus. Give me something that will fire up my imagination. How about the kingdom of God is like a chestnut or an acorn or a walnut? Now, these are seeds. You can grow something substantial, sizable, something significant from those seeds. Jesus chooses the embarrassingly insignificant mustard seed, a shrimp of a seed. And he reminds us that out of this seemingly insignificant beginning, a bush grows. A bush you maybe call a tree if you use your imagination. The meaningless garden plant will provide shelter and rest for birds. 
There's no country in the world that flies a mustard tree, mustard bush on its flag. Lebanon has its cedar on its flag. Poetry in the Bible pays tribute to the cedars of Lebanon. California heralds its sequoias, its redwoods. These are national monuments. They immediately create pictures of dominance and supremacy in my mind. Locally, we venerate old-growth forests, towering Douglas firs, spruce trees, ancient cedars. People are risking their lives to, to save these majestic wonders. The mustard bush does not ignite my imagination. When I listen to this parable, I think about Costco hot dogs, about picnics, about French's mustard. How can a mustard bush, which can grow maybe to two and a half, three and a half meters, represent God's kingdom? None of this makes sense, Jesus. And then he compounds the confusion with another parable. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and, and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through. I'm not a baker. I cannot even imagine mixing 60 pounds of flour into dough. I have three bags of flour here. They're just over 60 pounds. Can you imagine mixing that into dough? You'd probably get over 50 loaves of bread. The kitchen I grew up in on Saturday mornings was usually filled with that sweet smell of rising dough. Mom would start early. She'd put the yeast in, in a warm cup of water and it'd sit on the shelf. Then she'd mix the other ingredients and then put it all together and knead it and make it. And she'd wind up with this little clump of dough at the bottom of her bowl. Insignificant amount would maybe fill a few bread pans. Then she'd take that put a cover over top of a tea towel and place it on a kitchen table and allow the sun to shine on it through the window. To watch that dough was boring. However, I left and came back two hours later. I discovered that the dough was alive and well and crawling over the edges and sides of the bowl. Mom would then knead it back into submission, put it back under the sun, and an hour later, it had risen to new heights. I tried to do the math in Jesus' parable. Here are the approximate numbers. Two cups of yeast for 60 pounds or 270 cups of flour. That's a lot. Very little yeast and a lot of flour. The point of the story is that an insignificant amount of yeast in comparison to the 270 cups of flour can have a profound impact much more than one could possibly imagine. Small is mighty. As we zoom in and take a closer look at the people surrounding Jesus as he's telling these stories, we see common folk. Farmers, fishermen, carpenters, day laborers, shopkeepers, individuals without power, position, or place in the world. They were mustard seeds, yeast, almost invisible to the naked eye. The power elite, Rome's representatives, held sway over the land. The religious leaders controlled the leftovers. 
The people's hope was that one day, one day, they would be on top, that they would rule. The promise would be fulfilled. They would return from exile and dominate like the cedars of Lebanon. Jesus, you need to come up with a better picture for our future, a bigger vision. Yeast is good for baking, but not for starting a war. Mustard seeds, it's not going to get me off the couch to fight in anyone's army. Jesus knew that it was a stretch to call the mustard plant a tree. And he knew the impact these images were having on his audience. Trees were used to picture kingdoms in the Old Testament. The kingdom of Assyria was a towering cedar of Lebanon where the birds found refuge and rest in its boughs. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. This dream is recorded in Daniel chapter 4, and, and Daniel interprets the dream. The dream is of a tree rising into the heavens, representing the kingdom of Babylon. Do you know what? None of these trees survived. They were all cut down. Even Judah's tree was cut down, and the people sent into exile. In the deep darkness of this reality, Israel received a promise. Living far away from home, the prophet Isaiah gave them hope with a kingdom message. Isaiah chapter 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from that old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The children of Israel were waiting for a towering cedar to spring from the stump of Judah, from King David's fallen kingdom. And if not a cedar, at least a hemlock or fir. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is unlike any other kingdom. If I'm going to choose a tree to represent God's kingdom, I choose a mustard tree. The mustard tree comes from a shrimp of a seed and grows into a bush-like tree. The kingdom of God has an insignificant beginning, and its rule is not built on domination, but rather on service and sacrifice. This is God's plan. It's been his plan from the very beginning. He chose a, a group of Hebrew slaves to call his own, and he used them to redeem the world to redeem all the people of the world. He could have chosen the most powerful nation at that time. And in Egypt, he used two insignificant midwives to thwart Pharaoh's plan to destroy these Hebrew slaves. It was David, a shrimp of a boy who God used to cut down the giant sequoia of a man, Goliath. Who would ever dream of sending a baby to do a job only God could accomplish? God did. He sent his one and only son into the world, a defenseless child, to reconcile the world back to him. And he, and he wrapped this child in human flesh with eyebrows, kneecaps, and toenails. Do you want to hear a good story? A story that's going to blow your mind? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Let, let me say it again. The kingdom of God is like yeast. I'm telling you, small is mighty. 
God's kingdom continues to invade earth through insignificant means. He wants to use me. Now, that's small. He wants to use you. He wants to use North Langley Community Church, and he wants to use our Alder Grove campus. Imagine, imagine for a moment what the disciples were thinking and feeling after Jesus' resurrection. Pure ecstasy, joy, elation, and then he was gone again, ascended into heaven, but he told this group of followers to wait in Jerusalem, and they waited, and here they were, an insignificant band of Jesus' followers, mustard seeds, two cups of yeast left behind. And then something happened. The breath of God, like at creation, breathed life and fire into this band of followers. And the kingdom of God was alive and well on earth. And God's wind blew those seeds all over creation. And his wind is still blowing. We are part of God's kingdom plan Praying, spirit-breathed prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to pause for a moment and take a breath. Turn to someone around you and say, small is mighty. Do it. Small is mighty. Believe it. This constant refrain that has gone with us through this message, small is mighty, I I stole that tagline. I I was watching the news one night and they were doing a story on BC Children's Hospital fundraising campaign and and I paused the TV and, and there on the TV I saw it, the sign, small is mighty. In a culture that has supersized everything, and I, I mean everything, from French fries, burgers, to slurpees, houses, body parts, how much more? There's so much that we want to make big. How can small be mighty in the context that we live in? Do we really believe that? Do we have enough faith? Faith the size of a mustard seed and trust God with this, his seemingly impossible plan to invade planet Earth? How do we see God's kingdom come and his will being done on Earth as it is in heaven? How do we get involved in this mustard seed movement? How do we, like yeast, working its way through dough, impact the lives of the people around us? And it begins by understanding this. God takes the insignificant things of life and causes them to have an impact that far exceeds their paltry beginnings, advancing his kingdom and rule on earth. And it all begins in the most insignificant place of all, worship. Can you believe it? Here, in worship, our worship services make no sense To someone that does not believe, this is nonsense. But for us as followers of Jesus, the call to worship is kingdom work. 
In worship, we bow down, we relinquish our position as ruler of our lives, and we invite Jesus to sit in that place. King of kings, Lord of lords, deserving all our worth. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus reminded his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Or as Daniel Berengen loved to say, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Worship is the most significantly insignificant thing we can do to advance God's kingdom. But it's only the beginning, it's not the end. We leave here and we spread across Aldergrove, Langley, Maple Ridge, into Abbotsford, Mission, Chilliwack, like seeds. The wind of the Spirit carrying us to places unique to us. Mustard seeds planted, yeast working like working into the dough, doing the insignificant work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I love to hike, and to stay in shape throughout the year, I do the Abbey grind a few times a week. And over the years of doing this hike, I, I've created friends on the hike. I have 40 names of, of people that, that I've created a relationship with. And if you think of these relationships, they've happened out of insignificant moments. A grunt as I'm going up, a smile and a good morning as I'm coming down. And you do that a few times, and maybe there's that time where you stop and, and chat, and the next time you exchange names, and all of a sudden, a friendship has developed. Back in June, it was a beautiful morning. I was coming down off the top, and John had just passed the three-quarter mark. John is a few years older than me. He had just retired. He'd run a, a very stressful business. And we chatted, and we talked, and we talked about everything. We talked about MG cars, about his dad, about his dad's death, about drug overdoses and suicides. And in the middle of this conversation, he said, Wes, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I could become one. You know, I went to Sunday school, and I remember those stories, and I've been wanting to start reading the Bible again, but, but the King James Version, ah, I just don't understand it. And so I talked to him about some of the newer translations. I said, John, I, I'll pick you one up. I'll get one for you. And he says, no, no, Wes, I'll, I'll go to House of James, and I'll pick one up for myself. We talked a little bit more, and then we went on our way. Insignificant moments on a trail adding up to a mustard seed moment, a significant conversation. Falling under the shadow of the cedar, oak, and pine, the mustard bush does not dominate. It serves. God takes the powerless, the unpretentious, and uses them to turn the world upside down, which is in fact right side up. And he does it through servanthood and sacrifice, not domination. He does it through small gestures. Small is mighty. On the day I was born, December 1st, 1955, Rosa Park, a black woman, got on a Montgomery, Alabama bus, public bus, and went and sat in the seat she always sat in. It was in the colored section. There was a sign that designated the colored section. 
She sat there, and then bus driver came back at one point and, and asked her to move for a white person to sit in her seat. Rosa Parks didn't move. Small gesture, she remained seated. She was arrested, arrested for violating Alabama's segregation laws. One year later, justice won. That segregation law was overturned. Jesus, on the night before his death, took into his hands the, the rolled, weary feet of his disciples. And he washed them. A small gesture. Nobody paid attention to foot washers. They were invisible. Nobody's. But Jesus created this, this image, this picture that's become the image and picture for us as followers and lovers of Jesus, of service, of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. We are servants, nobodies, unconcerned with power, place, or position. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed. And then he asked again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast. Our journey into the mustard seed kingdom of God begins with the acknowledgement of the king. Acknowledging Jesus as king. This is an act of faith, or if we want to use kingdom language, this is an act of allegiance, aligning ourselves with Jesus. God is calling us to be people of the insignificant. And what's this going to look like for us this week? Is it a gracious word in response to anger? Or maybe an offering of friendship to someone alone? Or a bold word declaring our allegiance and faith in Jesus. To quote our very own Pastor John, you're not called to do everything. You're not called to do nothing. You're called to do something. Do something. Small is mighty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mix us into the world like yeast. Plant us like mustard seeds that we may grow and see your kingdom flourish. Give us grace to live lives of service, building your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.